I just love being back here. Just amazing after being away, just coming back and just, just to drink in the atmosphere of people celebrating and enjoying God. Just wonderful to do that. You know, you go to so many places and just so dry and empty and dead. And to be here where we can get touched by God and have so many people, so many young people on fire for the Lord and some older people on fire as well. That's good too. Got some older people on fire for Jesus. Well, you know, you, don't want, to be, you want to be passionate about something, don't you? I want to be passionate about retirement. You want to be passionate about doing something good for God. Okay, why don't you open your Bible with me? And uh, I want to have a look. Who's got anyone here that's been covered in sports at all? Andy? Oh, oh, oh. Steve does some. Is he a sporting man? I don't think so, somehow. <laughs> I can't get the picture somehow. <laughs> I know he's a hard worker, and that's good. Sportsman. Andy, you're a sportsman? You do any stretching when you do your, you know, get out ready to go, ready to run? Why is it important to stretch? So you don't kill yourself. So if you don't stretch, you kill yourself. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Anyone else does any sports here? You do some sport. Do you do, what sort of sport do you do? What? Yeah. Actually. Which one? Horses. Oh, you don't have to stretch for horses. The horse has to stretch, I suppose. What about you? Hmm? Netball. Aye, 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 aye. So how many people got to do some kind of sport of some kind? Amen. How many find that you don't actually run straight on? You usually got to warm up. Is that right? Why do you got to warm up? Because you can't give your best. Is that correct? Can't give you... Otherwise, you'll hurt yourself. Isn't that right? Uh, you damage yourself. That's true. You'll damage. You've got to warm up. Isn't that great? Well, we just got warmed up, didn't we? Now we can stretch. <laughs> Why don't you just get your hands and stretch out as far as you can? Upwards. Yeah, that's right. Now stretch out to the guy about four out to the other side. There's any to reach out and get a hold of him. That's there you go. Look at that, eh? You can go further than you know, further than you reckon. Come on, you just got to try. That's right. Come on, go beyond your comfort zone. Reach right out there. Come on. That's it. Whoa. That's right. See, some have got real long arms. Some are a little bit short. That's it. There we go. That was a good stretch, Steve. Come on. You got him. Great stuff. <laughs> Okay, we're going to talk tonight about stretch forth your hand. I want you to have a look with me in Matthew chapter 12. Oh, okay. And in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9. We were singing tonight about being part of a generation that's rising to take their place. And I want to share some things out of the story tonight. And uh, particularly it's relevant for each one of us who has the sense of a call of God in your, hand, in your life. And uh, Jesus is uh, ministering. And uh, he's in a, in a Sabbath, he's in a church on a Sabbath. So it's a, it's a weekend, they're having the meetings, and he's in there. And I says, when they departed, they went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man there had a withered hand. The claw. Had a withered hand. And, it's, and, and, he, and uh, they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? And he said, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Eh? You're of great value. At least you're better than a sheep anyway. Uh, therefore, it's, is it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched it out, it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees, and re those are the religious ones, plotted against him and that they might destroy him. And Jesus withdrew from them. 
that tonight, we, as we look at this, one thing we need to understand is that the Bible is extremely clear that God has a purpose for every person's life. We were reading, uh, looking earlier on in this term uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, and uh, we found there that you're his workmanship. God is working in your life, and you're created in Christ for the purpose of good works, of doing something. So God wants to accomplish something through your life, and that's more than just coming to a meeting. Meeting is where we get encouraged. We come to some kind of meetings, get encouraged and lifted up. Some kind of meetings where we can encounter God and experience God. Some kinds of meetings we can get trained and equipped how to run our life. You can learn how to run your finances. You can learn how to do lots of things. All very well to come to meetings, but at the end of the day, you're called to do something. And the doing something is the rest of the life, the rest of your time. So if we look at a church, there's only so many things we can do to make a meeting run. The rest, the others can just get in and enjoy the meeting. But uh, so we've got people on the stage, people on the sound, people on the lights, people up there, I don't know what they're up to, people watching the people at the back to make sure they don't get out of hand, people on the door to make sure you don't cause me trouble, all kinds of people around doing certain, but the rest of you just enjoy the meeting. But you see, the rest, but for most of our life, God's called us to do something, to be productive, for our life to have an influence. Now, if you're a religious person, all you're thinking about is, how can I get close to God? How can I get to heaven? But if you have a kingdom mindset, we understand God wants to accomplish something through your life. There's something for you to do. And uh, so the Bible's very clear. God has called us to do something. And uh, in the story here, we have a, a story about a man who's a believer. He's a part of the church. He's a part of the body of believers that are there. And there's something wrong with him. There is something lacking in his life. And it's very like the church has been over many years. And the Bible says that this man had a withered hand. That word wither means, it means literally to be dried up. Can you imagine having a hand? This is a good hand, this one. It's quite thriving. Got a couple of marks where I cut it and chopped it, but it's pretty good on the whole. But it does what I want. But you imagine if the hand was withered. And that word wither means to be dried up, to lose all its moisture, to lose its life and vitality. Virtually, it it means to be shriveled. You ever sometimes looked and cleaned up in your room and you went and cleaned up your room and you found an old orange there under your bed? And, uh, you know, an old orange, you know, an old orange is after it's been there a while, it's shriveled and withered. See, once was a lovely looking orange, you could have eaten it. Now you look at it, (laughs) you know, because it's all withered up. It's got no life and it's not attractive at all. It's something immediately you thought is how can I get rid of it? And here's a guy whose hand is withered. We read these stories in, in the book of Luke. It tells us it was his right hand. And in, so in the Bible, whenever the Bible's talking about a hand, it's talking about what we do. It's talking about our work. It's what we put our hand to. And the right hand particularly always represented power and strength. So the Bible talks that God saves by his right hand. So when the Bible's talking about right hand, it's talking about ministry, what God has called you to do, your serving. It's, it's about the things God has called us to do. Here's a man, and he is actually malfunctioning. There's something wrong with him. His hand is withered. It's dried up. It's lost its life. It can't function. I mean, he might have been all right to play a guitar. But on the whole, he really couldn't do too much at all, could he? And uh, you can imagine. Imagine what it would be like for you if you had a hand that was like that. The chances are you wouldn't want to show it off, would you? Chances are what you would do would be you would feel ashamed and you would withdraw and you'd probably have your hand mostly concealed. You wouldn't want to have seen the part of you which is lacking, withered, and dried up. And I imagine this man in there was like that. Uh, lacking in life, lacking. So he'd be withdrawn. He'd be ashamed of his condition. 
And so every time he'd go anywhere, he would be hiding or concealing his condition. And this is a tremendous picture for us of a whole generation of people that God is wanting to touch and to raise up that are not functioning, that have never really functioned right, never found their place in the body of Christ. And they're all, it's like they're drawn back. There's something missing, something lacking, and they need to actually have life in them. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And so that withered hand represents people who are unable to function, people who are unable to work and serve God, people whose lives aren't counting for anything. In Titus chapter 2, it says that God has called us to be productive in good works. Titus chapter 3, it tells us, be careful to maintain good works so you be fruitful. God wants everyone involved in his work. You were not born into this world to just breathe air and fill in time and then die. You were born to accomplish something with your life. But to accomplish something with your life, you need to be connected to the living God. And there needs to be a vision, a sense of purpose, something for you to put your hand to. If you have nothing to put your hand to, then you're like this man, withered and dried and without the life of God. God fills you with his life in order you can accomplish something for him. We're not just to spend all our time in meetings, enjoying the presence of God. God has called us to make a difference for your life to have impact. And maybe the whole world won't be impacted by you, but certainly someone can be. Someone can be. Tell someone next to you, God wants to impact someone through your life. God wants to impact someone through your life. I want you to notice in the story here, you notice in this man here says, there was a man there had a withered hand. Why is it that people's life gets withered up? Why is it so many Christians aren't doing anything? A good question, isn't it? Because many Christians are like the man with the withered hand. They're, they're like the people that are not actually accomplishing anything or doing anything. Why is it that people are like that? What causes people to be withered and lacking in life? Lacking, I've been to churches, whole churches that are withered and have no life. They're just going through the motions. I've been to groups of people that were withered and had no life. What they needed was the life of God, the supernatural life of God to bring a transformation in them and to begin to empower them to do something. I went into one church and uh, over a season of, uh, of a couple of days, God began to move in that church. Now that church is gro- it's virtually growing tenfold by the life of God coming in. And people, you know, here's the thing. The thing that's produced the growth is they not only got the life of God in them, they actually put the church to work. The pastor said to me, before you came, we had a country club. Now we have a real church. Isn't that great? And they're out in the community. They're working and serving. They're helping people. They've got all kinds of programs they're doing in the community. They've got many, many things that they're doing to help people. And the overflow of that, the church has grown and enlarged. Eh? So God wants the church not to be withdrawn, but to be active and vibrant. Let me give you several reasons why people get withered, what it is that causes your life to wither up. And uh, there's, there's a number of reasons why we become living. Fear will wither us up. 2 Timothy 1.6, fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And Paul, in writing that, is writing to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you need to stir up the gift inside. You need to stretch out again like you once did because something's come around your life. It's a spirit of fear. God didn't give it to you, but the devil saw you could do something with that gift. And he came around you and now the gift's withered and you're not functioning right anymore. He said, stir it up. God's given you a spirit of power. 
See, so fear, if you've got fear in your life, you'll never fulfill your potential. You'll always be somewhat withered. Why? Because fear closes up your spirit and we then lack the dimension of the spirit that enables us to be able to do things. If you've got fear around your life, you need to confront it. It's a spirit and it will wither you up. You'll always hold back. You'll always not do what you could do. You'll always watch others do something because you're too afraid to stretch out and make a difference or do something with your life. What does it matter if you, we, we was quite funny talking to these Americans when we were on the cruise ship and uh, we go ashore and, and uh, they'd pay their 80 bucks to do a, a, a trip and uh, they'd go out on a trip and there'd be a bus lined up. They step down the gangplank onto the bus, go to where they're going, do whatever they're going to do, then all come back. They don't have to think anything. They just have to stay there and go where they're told and do what they're told. And we said, well, we don't do that. We don't pay big money for that. We'd rather go ashore and find our way through the crowd and find our way to someone and negotiate something. We did one trip one day, cost us three euros 50 for the whole day's trip uh, and not including entrance to things. It uh, would have cost these Americans about 80 bucks to do the same thing. So, you know, what was the difference? Now, we talked to them about it. And this is what they said. But aren't you afraid, uh, you know, so the people might rip you off? Aren't you afraid that they might do this or they might do that? Aren't you afraid you might get lost? Well, get lost. We'll find our way again. Well, ask someone to show us where to go. But it's like the fear stopped them exploring what could happen and the possibility. If we lose the way and go to the wrong place, we'll enjoy that place. And then we'll find our way and get back again. Really simple. And, but they couldn't. They said, oh, you're really adventurous. I said, no, we just want to stretch out, you know, we don't want to just be, this is the way we live, this is what we do. And, but it was a shock to them, that whole deal. And I thought, you know, their whole potential was withered because one thing, fear, what might happen to me? I got to look after myself, I won't take a risk. Well, how many, a lot of people here be lo- locked up with fear, fear of what people think, fear of failing, fear I might get rejected, fear people laugh at me, you know what will happen? If you're afraid, you'll be withered up, you'll never, never do what you should do. Come on, break through it, break through it, make a decision. I'm not going to let a spirit of fear tell me what to do with my life. I will actually arise and begin to believe God's word. He says, I got a spirit of power and I can make something happen with my life. See? You know, one of the things that happens among young people, we all get afraid of everyone. But you don't be afraid of people. What's the worst they can do? Laugh at you. Okay, when they've done that and that's over, then what? Is that all? Was that all? So why would you live in fear of that? Because you want something. You want something. You want them to accept you. But if you wanted God's approval more than wanting their approval, you could rise up and stand against that fear. See, fear will wither you. Fear will stop you functioning as a Christian. When you go back to that school, fear will overtake. If fear overtakes you, it will shut you down from being what God called you to be in that school. You'll become withered. A lot of Christians around, oh, they're withered. And so, so stand up all the Christians. They stand up with the withered. You know, we like that. We'll be bold. And so, of course, you need to hang out with some other people to get your bold and get a, get, a, get a joyful spirit, get a prayer life calm, get to hear from God. Well, God, what do you want me to do? God wants you to do something. He'll help you do it. You just got to hear what God's saying and then do it. Don't have to only grow up. Hear from God. What does he want us to do in our school this year that would be a little bit different? How, do we, how should we stretch out? What could we do that we never did before that would be the stretch? And, of course, in every stretch, you go out of your comfort zone, stretch is a painful thing where you sort of stretch. Ah! You know, and, you know, it hurts. It hurts. There's pain when you stretch. But when you do it, you actually develop an increased capacity. Come on, here's another one. Fear and dis- uh, disappointment and offense. You're disappointed. You've been let down. I tried it once and nothing happened. <laughs> I'm withered. 
See, so, see, like, you know, if you've stepped out and tried some things, man, I tried heaps of things and they didn't all work. And some went well and some didn't, but don't worry about it. When you think of uh, Ian here, and Ian stepped out and, and he started a business and uh, I wouldn't say it was a great success. And uh, he lost a lot of money on that one, I think. But you know something? No, he's got a great business because he never said no, never, st- never drew back and said, I'll never do that again. And see, a lot of people will draw back and say, I'll never do that again, rather than saying, oh, well, I know at least one way not to do it. I'll have another go and try it again. You know, and see, see it's like it's not, he didn't let fear and he didn't let disappointment and offense draw him back, just able to get going again. See, there's lots of people have done that here. Lots of people. There's people in here that have, that have faced a disappointment and faced a setback and never became withered by it. They just got up again and went forward again. I can think of others here. I want to tell you a story. It's your, your testimony to tell others how, man, I really got a setback, but I didn't stay withered. I got back up and got going again. So you've got to let your disappointments go. Grieve over them. Grieve over them and then move on. Move on. Let it go. Get up again. There's nothing that will stop you reaching out and keep you with it. And that is if you live a life that's con- uh, in condemnation and guilt. Guilt has to do with something that we've done wrong. We've done some stuff wrong. Anyone here done nothing wrong in their life? Silence is deafening. Okay? So uh, everyone's done things we wish we hadn't done. And we really wish we hadn't done. How many got some things you really wish you hadn't done? Heaps of those things. Yeah, that's right. I got heaps of them too. But he says, so what the devil does is he exploits it by accusing us over and over and over and over. And if you don't know how to deal with the accusation, it will hold you down and become withered because you draw back from God. You feel too guilty and ashamed. But Jesus made a provision for that. It's called his blood shed for us. We confess our sin. We believe what he says. And then we hold that blood over our life and reject those accusations that would wither us. If you are living with the voice accusing you, you're no good, you're a bad person, God could never use you. If you don't silence the voice, it will make you withered as a Christian. You can't be productive with that, with, with that accusing voice living in your head all the time, telling you, you're no good, you're no good, you'd never make it. Listen, don't agree with the devil, agree with the Spirit of God. He says you're of great value to your Father in heaven. At least more valuable than a sheep. And Jesus said you're more valuable than a sheep. He also said you're more valuable than a sparrow. And he says, he said that God cares about every aspect of your life. And because you're a value to God, because you value him, you can rise up above that kind of stuff. Here's another thing that will cause you to be with it, and that's lack of relationship with the Lord. Lack of connectedness to God. Lack of connectedness to God will wither your life up. John 15, verse about 5 or 6, Jesus said, abide in me, abide in me. In other words, maintain a living relationship. Keep near to me. Keep a relationship of intimacy because if you don't, you'll become withered. He actually said that word. You'll become withered. You actually lack life. And, you know, when we have a, 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 that's why we pump up the music. We have it loud. We have it vibrant. We have it dynamic. But it's more than just the external. It's actually about allowing your whole inner being to arise and become a worshiper of God and close and connected to him. In doing that, there's a life flows. Even coming in here, when people are expressing life like this, you feel refreshed. You sometimes just stop in the middle of a service and think, oh, man, this is really doing me good. But there's a connectedness into the presence of God. Now, we need a personal relationship. That's why you have a life of prayer. If you don't have a life of prayer, you become withered. 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 You ever seen that orange under the bed? You know, it's not only withered. It sort of gets mold on it. You notice it gets mold on it? Bread, uh, sandwiches you didn't want to eat. And you just tossed them under the bed. You know, mum made these lovely sandwiches. You tossed them under the bed. And then they sort of become dried up. And then, do you notice the fungus gets on them? 
You know, when you're withered up, fungus grows on you. You know, and you wouldn't want to be withered up Christian. You'll have some spiritual fungus grow on you. See, spiritual fungus, fungi grow best where people are withered up. And in the dark, hidden, under the bed. Come on, in the closet. So don't, don't be a closet Christian. Come on out, you know. <laughs> Time for you to get out there and get into the light. See, so, so we, we need a relationship with the Lord. See, so we keep our life flow going. You know, anything stops your life flow with God, get to deal with it quick. Keep, a, keep praising the Lord. Keep an attitude of gratitude to him and begin to develop your prayer life so you become intimate with the Lord. Here's another thing, neglecting your inner life. In Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, it says that the man, blessed is the man who delights in the, in the law of the Lord and in his word he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who brings forth fruit in his season. In other words, what he's saying is this. If you learn how to delight in the words of God, if you delight in the words of God and meditate and roll them over, it guarantees you have a, a, a flow of water from God that will keep you fruitful and you won't get withered. So one of, the, one of the great keys in the Christian life to staying full of life is meditating, taking the word of God, picturing it, imagining it, and seeing it, imagining how it feels, holding it in your heart till the word begins to create life inside you. You remain alive. And it's one of the most powerful ways. See, if you know that God loves you, how do you know God loves you? Not just because the word says, because you meditate and let it get into your heart and it becomes a revelation. I'm loved. And then faith, the ability to do things for God, flows out of love. If you know you're loved by God, you can be filled with the presence of God. And so we need to cultivate and develop our inward life. And finally, last one, another reason that people uh, fail or they become uh, withered and, and die is a lack of commitment into the local church, lack of commitment. In, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 92, verse 14, it says, those who are planted in the house of God shall bring forth fruit in their old age. They shall flourish in the courts of God. So to be planted in the house of God means you've made a commitment. Now, made a commitment means I don't just turn up once in a while. Made a commitment means I've made a certain local church my home. I've become connected to the leadership, to the vision, to what God is doing. I'm open. I participate and contribute. See, and when we do that, when we're planted, we begin to form connections, then we flourish. So, you know, as long as you just come along to a youth meeting, you need to get in there, boots and all, get committed, get involved, roll up the leaders, say, count me in. Count, you got a job doing? Count me in. Say, so can I help somewhere? Count me in. And you see, in being planted in it, what happens is this, is you become anchored to a group of people who are carrying life, and it affects your attitudes and your thinking. That's why you get, you get with a whole group of young people who, who've got a clean life, your life actually starts to become clean. You begin to get into the flow of what's over everyone else. You get with a whole crowd, they're hanging out and they're boozing and drinking and drugging and into parties. You'll go down that way because what's on them will come on you. See, and so, you know, I've noticed this, when young people let go of their commitment, very soon they become withered in their life, and very soon they've got major issues they're overcome by. So, so being committed, commitment's a crucial part of becoming a, a vital, vibrant kind of person. I want you to see what Jesus did to this man. Let's finish the story now. So, uh, you notice what Jesus, now there's two things that Jesus did. You don't pick it all up in this version, but you do pick it up in, uh, in, the, in Mark. Jesus gave him two commands. Two commands that he gave him. Number one, the first command, let's read it in Mark chapter 3. And uh, I'll just so you see that it's there in Mark chapter 3. And there it is. Nearly there. There it is. There it is. Ta -da. Here it is in verse 3. Mark 3, 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Stand up. Step forward. Take your place. 
So the first thing that Jesus did to the man was he called him to do something he could do. He didn't ask him to do something he couldn't do. He asked him to rise up and stand out. To rise up and stand out requires you make a commitment. Now, there's a lot of things you can't do that God can enable and empower you to do, but you can't, there's some things you can do. One thing you can do is make a stand for the Lord. You can make a decision, I will stand up, I will respond to the call of God in my life. I won't hang out with a crowd sitting down. I will stand up like we were singing tonight. There's a generation rising to take their place. So the first thing you can do is listen to God and he will speak to you. He's a young man, young woman, stand up, stand up, stand up in your generation. Don't lie down. Don't be withered. Don't let your life go for nothing. Don't let it burn out and frizz out. Make a stand. Stand up in the midst of the crowd. Now listen, there was a lot of reason for him to not stand. He felt embarrassed about his condition. He felt lacking in his condition. There was something about him that would cause people to laugh at him and look at him and point at him. But nevertheless, he stood up. You can do the same. You can stand up wherever you are. Let it be known you're a follower of Christ. Let it be known you're a believer. Let it be known my life is committed to walk wholeheartedly with God. Make a stand. Make a stand. I don't know anyone who made a difference who didn't first make a stand. What is it you need to make a stand in? Do you need to make a stand in your money? Do you need to make a stand in the financial area of your life? Do you need to make a stand in your relationships? Do you need to make a moral stand? Is there some area that Jesus is saying, come on, son, daughter, stand up. I want you to take your place. Listen, to take your place, no one's going to make you do that. That's a personal call from Jesus Christ for you to arise, to come out of a place where you're hidden, concealed in the crowd, just one of the many, and to stand up and say, Lord, here am I. I will take my place. I will become available to you. Here I am. Now begin to speak again. See, the miracle didn't happen in the first command. The miracle happened after he'd obeyed the first command. Then Jesus gave him another one. This is the one I like. As a man, and he needs a miracle. See, to make a difference with his life, he needs a miracle. doesn't tell you all the difference he made with his life, but I tell you something, it did. See, because the, Lord says, the Bible says, stretch out. Now, that word means extend yourself. It means to push past the boundaries. It means to go beyond what you're comfortable with. It means come out of your comfort zone. It means come out of where you've limited yourself. Stretch. Now, you see, he's asking them to do something that's physically impossible. I think probably he had his hand was with it and it would be closed up like a claw. Seen people like that, it's horrendous. And, uh, but, but probably be holding his arm like this. He'd be hiding the thing. He said, I want you to take that part of your life and I want you to stretch it out. And you know, he had, so he had a choice whether he would respond in faith. Okay? And he responded in faith. He believed, he responded. See, he haven't responded once, easy to respond the second time. He stretched out as he stretched out the life of God, the miracle power of God flowed into him. And the Bible says his hand was made whole. His hand was restored. That means it was made back 
into its original condition God intended. It means it was structurally made right. You'd imagine that hand, all the nerves, all not functioning properly, no feeling in the hand. You can imagine all the cells are all withered up. The cells are dead. They're not working properly too. It's a wonder he didn't have gangrene in the thing. You see, the whole hand is not functioning properly. But as he stretched out, a miracle happened and the life of God restored it back. I tell you something, God has intended always, always from the very beginning that he would have a people that would stand out, a people that would do something with their lives. He has intended from the beginning that his people would arise and do great and mighty works. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they'll pray for the sick. In my name, they'll see them healed. In my name, they'll cast out demons. In my name, they'll do many, many, many wonderful things. The works I've done, those who believe will do greater things. So God has got a generation which will stand up and they will stretch out of the comfort zone and see the miracles of God. You'll never see the miracles in the comfort zone. Peter never saw the miracle in the boat. It was when he stretched out, he saw the miracle. He never saw the miracle of the fish until he cast the net and stretched out. The lady who had the little pot of oil never saw the miracle till she stretched out. See, this is how it works. You have a look in Romans chapter 4. It tells us of Abraham. Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham had a word and a promise from God. A promise of being productive. A promise of children. And here he is. He's a hundred years old. Now, that's a pretty far-fetched kind of promise. Hundred, you ever seen a hundred-year-old man? Uh, not much moves too fast with a hundred-year-old man, that's for sure. Isn't that true? Not much moves at all sexually when you're that age. Eh? And the Bible says of Abraham... He considered not his body now dead. Isn't that an interesting statement? Now, his body was dead means sexually he didn't have any kind of feelings, thoughts, or nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. He was dead. You know, the Bible says he did not stagger at the promise of God, but was fully persuaded what God said to him, God was able to do. And over a period of time, I guess think about this. He did have children. We know he had, you know he had children? They said he didn't consider his wife's womb either. That was dead. Shriveled up, withered up. Hadn't moved for years. See? He didn't consider the death that was in both of their bodies, but he believed if God said it, it was possible for it to happen. When we read in the Bible, you find, I encourage you to look for this. Now, you remember that Sarah is also about 100. You ever seen a 100-year-old woman? Think about it now. Their God at about 50, they're starting to find everything they can to improve the thing and try and make it go back to its original condition. 60, 70, you know, it's sort of, you know, we saw a lady, 85, isn't that right? Now, it's not bad. Bill's lady on the boat. She's 85, 85, was it? 82. 82 years old. Dear God, she had some life in her. She said, my husband died at 65, and I decided I'd have a fresh start of life. That was the second husband, by the way. And she said, so what she decided to do, now get this, she decided she'd, she'd do some new things. This is 65. And so she decided she'd go on the stage at 65. Yeah, so she started learning tap dancing at 65. So she's tap dancing at 65. Now, get what is this? She does three shows a year, and the rest of the year she goes on cruises. And she just lives for these three. At 65, she's now 82 doing three shows a year. 
and she remembers all the lines at three, of three shows a year, and she not only does the tap dancing, she actually has speaking parts and singing parts. She's a real gopher. We saw she's out sunbathing out there. Man, she's not looking too bad for someone who's 82. <laughs> Little white body there, goodness me. Shorts. <laughs> Don't go there, the blood. <laughs> there she is. Now listen, she had more light than anyone around there I saw. But you see, something happened. She made a decision. She's not going to go into retirement mode. She get a fresh vision in her life. She gets something fresh to put her life to, and she gave herself passionately to it. Now she she came into the she had tremendous life vitality. Now imagine that's a, I don't think she's even saved. Now imagine what happened if a believer decided I'm going to actually now begin to enter a new season of my life, a season of believing God, a season of standing up like I've never stood up before, a season of connecting to God, a season of engaging God's word and God's promises. I'm going to be like Abraham and believe. Now listen, when you read the story about Abraham and Sarah, now 100, 100 I'm saying this 82 year woman, now she was not too bad for 82, but there's no way I'm interested. You understand? No, not 82, you know. And uh, so anyway, get this, Sarah, she's 100 years old, it says Abimelech, the king of Egypt, saw her and wanted her. I don't go, Ugh. he saw something you didn't see. He saw something you didn't see. See, because God restored her. He restored her vitality, restored her energy, restored her life. She didn't look like a hundred-year-old woman who'd wandered in the desert. She looked so attractive, the king said, I thought he was blind. <laughs> Looks all right to me. She still talks and moves around. Listen, it was more than that. He's the king of Egypt, you know. The king of Egypt. He saw her and he said, get that woman for me. She's a hottie. <laughs> and she took... Abraham, he took Abraham's wife into his home and, and of course nothing happened. The Lord kept her and protected her and then a great plague came on his home until finally uh, Abraham had to own up. But listen, here's the thing. Is that a hundred-year-old woman beyond having children was restored by God to the place where she was youthful enough to have children again. She got her life vitality back because her husband believed God. Now, this story, he is called the father of our faith. Now, I'm not saying you should believe to have children if you're 82. Just leave well alone. Well, it's enough. <laughs> but here's the thing. God is wanting you to arise and take your place and begin to stretch out that you can do things God has called you to do. Abraham had a particular journey. It was a faith journey, but he's gone. We're here you're called to walk by faith. You're called to believe God. You're called to make a stand. You're called not to stagger because of unbelief, but to dare to dream that God could do miracles in your life. God gave him a picture or a dream by night and by day. And as he hung on to the dream, the miracle of God began to work in his life. You see, this man here, Jesus said, stand up. Now stretch forth. And as he stretched forth, his hand was made whole. That man must have influenced so many people because they all would have known him. Say, what happened to your hand? Playing the guitar properly now. Okay. What happened to your hand? See, playing the keyboards instead of just chords. You know, <laughs> playing it properly now. Got the hands all moving. 
So everyone must have seen. See, he had a testimony. He was, a, he was literally a sign to his generation of what God can do in a person who will believe and stretch out. Father, we just thank you tonight. We thank you tonight that you are working to raise up a new generation of people that will make a stand because they've heard you speak and that will stretch out of the comfort zone and dare to move into the supernatural realm, into the realm where miracles and possibilities and dreams and visions begin to take place because they've positioned themselves to hear the voice of the Lord bring forth miracles on their behalf. Listen, saints, this is a tremendous day to be alive. But it's, it's a day also of making a decision. Don't run with the crowd. Make a stand in the middle of it. You know, Peter, when Jesus said, follow me, he said, what about that other guy over there? What about John? He said, listen, forget him. Don't worry about him. You follow me. Tonight, Jesus is calling you two things. Number one, to make a stand for him. If you're not a Christian yet, never given your life to Jesus, the first thing to do is position yourself for unusual things of God in your life by making a stand to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Second thing, if you're already a believer, maybe there's an error in your life that God has spoken to you tonight that you need to make a stand. You need to stand up in the crowd. You need to stand up. Now, no one wants to stand out in the crowd. No one wants to stand out in the crowd, but Daniel's friends did. But you've got to make a stand. You've got to allow yourself to be different because you are different. And you've heard the voice of God. And he said, stand up. I wonder that maybe some need to make a stand financially. You need to get, stop spending so much money and getting in debt and start to actually make a stand to put your finances in order according to God's will. There may be some of you and it's a relationship area and you need to make a stand. Stand to do what's right, do what God says to do. There may be some of you and there's areas of a compromise in your life and you just now need to make a stand. Maybe you've got secret drinking going on, you know, secret smoking, you've got secret rebellion. You're, you're here in the crowd and you're a real church-wise person. You know what it's like to come to meetings, but your secret life is just full of stuff. You just need to make a stand tonight. Is that some of you tonight? Why don't you make a decision tonight I'm making a stand. God is speaking to me. I'm part of a new generation arising to take my place. See, you're either going with the crowd or you're rising to take your place in what God's doing.